our thoughts to Pentecost. Um, and I'm going to tell the story of Pentecost a little bit here today, but um, it's really part of the whole salvation story, and I, and I want to tell us part of that and how that fits in and why it's something we need to be a part of um, today. We're part of a great big Christian family. I just did some statistical uh, search this week. Do you know that out of seven and a half, maybe more than that now, people on planet Earth, over two and a half billion people, in some way, shape, or form, call themselves Christian? That's a lot. Now, it's the Lord to separate the wheat from the tares, but that's, that's a big number. There, that's the largest community of faith on the planet. Within that two and a half billion people, the largest, most rapidly growing expression of Christian faith is what we call Pentecostalism. Now that isn't just in Assemblies of God churches. Uh, there are those in Catholic churches and Baptist churches and churches around the world. But what sets them apart is they have had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. And they have awakened to the full presence of the Spirit within their life. We hear a lot about Islam being the fastest growing religion in the world today. It's not. There are 685 million believers today that would call themselves Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled. Now that's from zero in the year 1900. That's pretty rapid growth that is there. It's larger than, it, it is, it, now Islam, all the branches together, is um, 1.8 billion or something like that. Um, but aside from that, Pentecostalism is the second largest species of faith. It's large, there's more Pentecostals than there are Hindus. There's more Pentecostals than there are Buddhists. That's a large body, and it is growing in the world today. And so, what I want us to do, I'm going to begin by reading the passage of Scripture that is associated with Pentecost Sunday out of the book of Acts, and I will click there. Now I believe. There we go. And I'm going to read these pass this passage of Scripture out of Acts 1.8. I apologize, when I put these PowerPoints together, I'm trying to find something that will make it pop on the walls, but I don't know if it's the lighting or what it is, but it's not quite as bright as I would like it to be. So it's not your cataracts acting up. Uh, but, but you can get through it, you can read it. But uh, out of Acts, the, the first chapter, I'm, read this, then I'm going to tell us the story of Pentecost in salvation history. Follow along as I read. And there's certain things I'll just want you to focus on because I'm going to come back to them. This is, this is um, the first chapter of the book of Acts. And Jesus has just ascended to heaven. 
And the disciples are standing there gawking at what is happening. I mean, their heads are spinning in everything that has happened in their lives in the last 50 days. And the angel comes and declares to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own native language being spoken. Now remember that last phrase. I'm going to try to tie these elements together and help you understand it and how it works and how it applies and how it is available and to be practiced in our lives today. So what I want us to do next is I want us to look at Pentecost and the salvation story. So we're going to go back to the garden to start with. What I want you to understand is how all of this is woven together as a beautiful tapestry that God has been working throughout the story of the human race. And let's go back to the beginning. And I'm going to say, once upon a time in a garden... Everything was perfect. God created a world without flaw. Created Adam and Eve. The name Adam literally means father of all living. Or, excuse me, mankind and the name Eve literally means mother of all living. But they were two individuals that were there, created by God. And they lived in perfect harmony with God and fellowship with nature. They were naming animals. They were enjoying this paradise found where God had planted them. There were no books. There were no churches. There were no temples. There were no priests. There were no long-standing traditions. There were no laws. They didn't even know the difference between good and evil. But they lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. In the third chapter, we read about how God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. And as long as they lived in response to the leading of the Spirit, everything was literally perfect. But when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with something different about them than anything else he'd ever created. They were created in the image of God. 
Lots of theories on the image of God, but, but one of the ones I like the most is this. In everything God had created, beautiful as it was and perfect as it was, there was something missing that did not remind him of himself. Because God didn't need planet Earth. God still doesn't need us or me at all. Sometimes that makes us a little uncomfortable, but it's true. God got along fine before you were here. He could take you out right now and it wouldn't make any difference to him. He's still God. That's not his nature. That's not what he's going to do. But God wanted to see reflected back to him something that was characteristic of himself. God in his freedom chose to be for us and to create us. He created us as the risk of God. Now, God knew the beginning and the end, and I'm not trying to question that at all. But there's a certain drama that happens in the meantime. So God created us as free creatures. Because he wanted us, wanted to be something that would freely be for him even though they didn't have to be. Just like he was freely for us. Are you with me? In order for there to be real freedom, there has to be choice, doesn't there? So there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that, God said. You don't need to. I'm your lifeblood. I talk with you every day. I have created you because I want you to be reliant on me and in fellowship with me. And so for who knows how long, it worked out just fine. But then act two in this salvation story, the fall of the human race. And you know it well. The serpent. Did God really say... You must not eat or touch that, the fruit from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will not surely die if you eat it. And somewhere implanted with the human heart was this desire, or temptation we should say, to declare independence from God. I would like to know good and evil. I would like to be master of my own destiny. I would like to be able to sort things out for myself. And it was that temptation, that choice that was there, that the serpent seized upon and entered into the heart. Wouldn't you know it? It was a woman. I'm not trying to be... Just roll with me on that. That was intended to be a joke. Okay. And... uh she saw that it was beautiful, it was good for food, and would make me wise, and they ate of it. And so there was the fall. 
and here's one of the verses out of that. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a couple other interesting passages in this, the opening cha- uh, chapters of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6. Nobody knows what really happened here. But we read in the opening verses of Genesis 6 that the sons of God came and intermarried with the daughters of men. How many of you know the passage I'm talking about there? What happened? We don't know. But what it is, what the truth of the story is there, is here we have it again in the human race, this fallen human race, wanting to be like God. If I can just marry heavenly beings, I'll be like God, God himself. And then, and, and is in uh, the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel, verse 9. Now what was happening here is all the people of earth all spoke one language. This is kind of interesting how this fits back in to Pentecost that we're coming to in just a moment. And they built a tower that they thought could reach to heaven. And God said, we can't let them do this. They're going to become like God. It's back to Genesis 3, isn't it? That same impulse. They were trying to create the first expression of globalism. If we stick together and we can build a tower to heaven, we will be able to create and navigate a world of our building and our choosing. Does it sound familiar to something that might be happening in our world today? One world government. We can do this ourselves. And so God came down and he confounded their languages. And there's the birth of nations and languages. He did not want them to uniting and trying to take the place of God himself. And so here's, here's an interesting thing, and it's going to play into Pentecost. In a fallen state, God confounded the languages. At Pentecost... We'll get to that in just a second. There's one other thing before we move on, and that is the law that was given at Mount Sinai. It's in, we hear that story in Genesis, uh, Exodus 19 and 20. The culmination of it is the Ten Commandments in uh, Exodus 20. But there is an ancient Jewish tradition. It didn't make it into the Torah, the page of Scripture but an ancient Jewish tradition that says that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he spoke the Ten Commandments, it was heard in 70 different languages. Isn't that interesting? The meaning of that is, you see, the reason why Abraham was chosen The reason for the Jewish people being the chosen race of God was not that God likes them better than anybody else, but God chose them to be the vehicle through which the road back to unity with God, that voice and that message would be declared. And when God gave the law, which is again the unifying truths of God, that if we live by those laws of God, our life is going to turn out 
better and good. And so when Moses spoke that language, it wasn't just for the Jewish nation. That number 70 is symbolic in the Old Testament for being completion for everyone. This is the universal law of God. Written law. It you back to unity with God. And so that law at Sinai that came and went forth was the law of God that is supposed to be the ground rules for how the human race is supposed to live. And that served as, and this is Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3, the guardian that holds us in check until the fulfillment of the promise will come. So we're never intended to be a people that just live by law, the letter of the law, but that law points us to who God wants us to be. Remember in the garden, they heard instructions from God daily as they needed them. But that fall from grace excluded them from all of that. And so, here at Sinai, here is the provisional means of tapping in to the word of God that we need to live by. Why have the Jewish people been so successful, by the way, through the years? Is it just because God likes them better than anybody else? No. They have the law of God in their heart. Why did so many people long to become a part of the Jewish faith in New Testament and biblical times? Because of their families. Because of their core values. Because they lived their lives in response to the way God had ordered life to be lived. And it worked out better. But in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And we know the story of how he came and he set the model for perfection for us. He died for our sins. And then when we come to that day of Pentecost, I just read that text. Jesus had ascended, and the coming of the Holy Spirit again becomes the law of the Spirit that is heard by all of the people of the earth, and they hear it, and they understand it. One of the interesting things about the Pentecostal revival that happened at the beginning of the 20th century is it has, to a large extent, erased denominational labels. It doesn't mean those things aren't important, but it is that commonality of the Spirit that holds us together. And what was lost at Babel, what first was lost in Eden, what was lost then at Babel, what was provisionally recovered through the law, the letter of the law at Sinai, now becomes available to all of us in the last days. Joel, in, the, in, the, in Joel chapter 2 says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that's the significance of these Jewish people from around the Mediterranean region that came to Jerusalem, speaking their native languages, whatever it might have been. As the messages in tongues went forth, they heard the word of God through the Spirit that was speaking into their life. The unity is restored. That relationship with the Lord is, is restored in the fullness of what it is intended to be.
So what I want us to look at next is the question of why you need the Holy Spirit. It's for us today. Let me put it this way. It seems like on television today there's all these natural vitamins and supplements and things that give you your veggies and provide you with energy and you know what I'm talking about. So let's suppose that they've found this wonder plant somewhere in the Amazon. It's perfectly safe. It's not addicting. It's not a hallucinogenic drug of some sort. It's natural. But if you, but if you partake of that plant, the properties of that plant, uh, it has a way of motivating you. It has a, uh, a way of energizing you. It, it has a capacity to give you a heightened natural awareness. It even has the capacity to tap into things in your subconscious that could be used for special occasions in your life as you need of it. I think there might be a market for that. There is such a food. It's a spiritual food. It's the fullness of the Spirit within your life. Now that Spirit's already there. I'm telling you, one of my favorite theologians is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said one time in one of his books, it it takes the Spirit to hold the world together. Without the ruach, which is the Hebrew word for spirit that was breathed into the nostrils of the beasts and Adam and Eve, they wouldn't have been. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. It's really a mind bender. He said, if the spirit was withdrawn from you, whether you are a believer or not, you not only would cease to exist, but you never would have existed. So spirit's the glue that holds the word of God and matter together. But we're talking about a special awakening and fullness and realization and participation in the presence of the Spirit that can activate within our life. So three different labels I'm going to give you here. First of all, it's, it's, the, it's the Spirit that empowers our life. Second, it's the Spirit that energizes our life. Third, it is the Spirit that enlightens our life. And just quickly let me run through this. It's the Spirit that gives you a mission in life. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness, witnesses. Every one of us, we are a priesthood of believers. God intends... That, and there is a mission for us in life. We are to be witnesses to the truth, just like the nation of Israel was intended to be that. We, in some sense, are a new Israel. We're not taking the place of Israel past and even Israel future, but, but God is using us that way. And it's the Spirit that puts you on mission. For who it is and what it is God wants you to do and be in your life. There is a calling. There is an empowerment. And that is revealed and activates in your life. 
as a, as a work of the Spirit when we are awakening to the Spirit in our life. It instills courage. In the book of Acts, and you might want to read through this yourself, did you notice how supercharged and energized the apostles were? Peter, the next day, he proclaims the gospel and 5,000 people come to Christ. They're under threat of arrest. Does it, does it, does it phase them? Not at all. Paul, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, but they started a revival in prison by singing songs while they were there. There was courage that was instilled. Or Stephen, and I have the reference to this here, when Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin and encouraged and boldness as a witness to the truth, expressed to the Sadducees and the Pharisees why they had been such a stiff-necked people and they took him out and they stoned him to death. Did it phase him? Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. It's the Spirit that plants courage and boldness within us. Let me just update this right now. I do believe that in our world today, in our country today, there are forces at work right now that are wanting to destroy the church and the teachings of Christ and the laws of God. How many of you understand what I'm saying? It's God that puts us on mission in the power of the Spirit to stand against that and to have the courage to take a stand. That is a work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Let's look at the energizes now. The growth of spiritual fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What the Spirit energizes is a new want to in your life. Let me just try to illustrate it this way. Years ago when I was teaching at Bethany Bible College in those days in Santa Cruz, there was a, a man there in his 30s that had really lived life in the fast lane. Kind of just, uh, you're not sure what side of the law he was always on. His name was Bill Swigert. And he had come to the Lord and the Lord had changed his life. He had been kind of a shady dealer in precious gemstones. And he was one of these guys, if you wanted diamonds, he would get them from somewhere and he'd roll them out on a table and sell them to you. You didn't know where he got them from. His family that lived in nearby Watsonville was notorious. They were a very dysfunctional family. And they were involved in some kind of a um, pyramid scheme, money-making scheme that was very shady. But Bill had come to the Lord. And God had changed his life. And one day, standing out in front of Swanson Hall, early in the morning before 8 o'clock, I saw Bill. I said, Bill, how are you doing today? He said, terrible. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, oh, it's my family. He said, for years, we just hated each other. They'd get mad at me, but it didn't matter to me. I just hate them right back. But he said, you know, now I'm a Christian. And they still hate me. But I love them now, and it hurts. Hmm. That's the fruit of the Spirit that begins to work in your life. Those things, and we never get past those in our life, 
But I'm working on them daily in my life and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me. One area, and my wife, well, if, if it's true, I want to hear an amen, Cherie. I'm asking the Lord to help me be more patient. <laughs> and I'm making a little headway, but it's the Spirit that reminds me of that. Look at those areas in your life where you're falling short. I'm telling you, you need the Holy Spirit because the Spirit will badger you with that. The Spirit will convict you with that. And the Spirit will empower you to make that change in your life. And then there is the gifts of the Spirit. It energizes and awakens these within our life. Now there are different kinds of gifts. But the same Spirit distributes them. A gift is not just a natural ability you have. The Lord might turn that into a gift in your life, but it's something that the, the, the Holy Spirit supernaturally calls and enables, energizes and awakens within your life. Years ago, how many of you remember the name Andre Crouch? Anybody here remember him? Most of us do. Very famous singer. And in the early days, this is when I was a youth pastor in San Diego, Andre Crouch and the original disciples, they would come to La Mesa Gospel Tabernacle one Saturday night a month, and they would hold a concert. I mean, this was just great. They came for a love offering. They weren't famous yet. And they would come and, and they would have a concert. Well, what happened with Andre Crouch and disciples? I mean, they came on to be huge stars, not only in gospel, but in entertainment and music. But Andre told the story of how he came to be a songwriter and a piano player. He'd come to the Lord. He'd grown up in a Christian home. But he just felt God calling him to be a musician. This is what he said. He said, I just sat down at the piano. I'd never had a lesson. And I just started playing it. Amazing, isn't it? And the songs that he wrote, through it all. You know, I mean, all, there's so many of them that are there. This was a gift of music that had come and been awakened. Now, sometimes it's a much more subtle gift. But I'm telling you, there are interests and capabilities that God awakens within you that are, have a supernatural origin and basis there that God works in your life. Now, I, I just really love my wife, and I don't want to embarrass her, but I'm telling you, she has a gift of working with children. For 30-some years, she was a preschool director. Now, I mentioned before, she's never been blessed with having her own biological children. But I'm telling you, I look at our grandkids that are here now. One of them sitting right next to her right now. And they really like Grandma Cherie. Am I right, Grace? She's kind. She just has that ability. But that is a gift that the Spirit is awakened within her life. So it doesn't always have to be something sensational like sitting down and playing the piano that you've never tried to before. But for every one of us, there are gifts that God wants to awaken and use and utilize within, within our lives. Let's go to the last category here. The Spirit enlightens. 
Word and Spirit in Hebrews 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Now what is this active ingredient here in making this Word alive? It's Spirit, isn't it? For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible in its written form is exactly what the Holy Spirit intended and what God intended for us to have as a written document. There are things in there I don't understand. I've been reading through... uh, Recently, I just finished reading through uh, Deuteronomy and uh, some of the laws of God, and there's some things there that just don't make a lot of sense to me today, but, but it's still part of the written deposit of God's revelation. I mean, if I have mold in my closet, even though the Old Testament law says to, I'm not going to burn my house down. Okay? I mean, there are things you don't know how they directly apply today, but they're there. But I tell you, it is the Spirit that will give us a sense of timeliness, of application, and priority of how that written word can come to life for us today. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? One. So, two. Okay. Let me give you, let me put it this way. I've been reading through um, Joshua and Judges. That's where I'm in my devotions right now. And man, what a bloodbath. The Jews are to go into a town in Canaan and take no prisoners. Kill them all. Men, women, children, sometimes even livestock. Sometimes you're to take the kings of the people that you've, you've conquered and cut off their thumbs and big toes and let them grovel for bits of food under the table where you're eating. Now, I'm, I have no idea. I have a lot of problems with that. But let, let, me, let me tell you, not literally to do it in that way. And this is a question. I'm not saying this is a word of the Lord, but this is how the word of the Lord works. I'm very troubled, this stands to it, very troubled by some of the things I see happening in our society right now. Very troubled by it. And here's what keeps coming to me, and I've said it to Sheree, I said, I don't understand this. But this spirit in our country now, it has to be destroyed. And and I don't know what that means. But as I look at the Israelites as they move into the land of Canaan, they were to destroy the evil that was around them and the immorality that was around them. Now, I don't want you to take this as a literal agenda of what you're to do. What I'm trying to say is what I'm wrestling with right now. Holy Spirit, are you speaking this into my life? If you're speaking into my life, there must be millions of us in this country where it's not about us learning to just get along 
with some of these things that are so destructive, but they have to be destroyed in some way. Now, what also has come to mind is putting on the armor of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the, you know, the breastplate of truth and this. But I wonder if that's not the spirit speaking to us today. That we have to take a stand. We can't just keep backing up and backing up and accommodating. There is a time where the people of God have to take a stand. Even though it's uncomfortable. So, anyway, leave that where it is. That's not a thus saith the Lord. That's just an example of how I'm wrestling through that in my own life and how word and spirit work together. Last point. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Years ago, I've never forgotten this. I was in Oregon with my father. That's where he grew up. And uh, my grandfather had recently died. And uh, my parents, and they took us kids up with them to help get my grandmother resettled in her new life as a widow. And while we were there in Coquille, Oregon, my dad started experiencing sharp pains in his leg. And it concerned him. And he went to the doctor, but they couldn't quite diagnose it. We get, got in the car, and that pain had passed. We got back to Escalon, California, where he was pastoring at the time, and there was one of these prayer warriors in the church. Her name was Helen Osborne. Everybody, this was in the Brothers and Sisters Day. Any of you go back that far? And, you know, yeah, she was always Sister Osborne. And we got back in town. Helen Osborne called my dad. And she said, on such and such a date, during the night, was there something going on physically in your body? Because I was awakened from my sleep and the Lord told me to intercede in your behalf. And he said, yes, there was. He went to the doctor when he got home and he found out that he had had phlebitis. Which I still don't fully understand, but the doctor said that could have killed you that night. But the Spirit interceded. So, I want you to know that there is real value in seeking the fullness of the Spirit in our life. I'm almost done, but I want to... The uh, slides are over, but I, I, I just... I really prayed about this message, and, and I'm going to take a certain liberty here, because there are some that once upon a time, you receive the infilling of the Spirit. But it's been a long time ago. Paul prayed for his understudy Timothy that he stir up that gift of the Spirit that was within. Or maybe you've never really understood what this baptism with the Holy Spirit is like. I will tell you this. In the early church, there were three elements that were present in a full conversion experience. The first of those was repentance and confessing Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth, 
you will be saved. The second of those was baptism in water. Baptism was to the Christian experience what a wedding day is to a marriage. This is where you come public. Sometimes they change their names. Saul's name was changed to Paul. Simon was changed to Peter. Christian name. But the third component of that was the infilling of the Spirit. In Acts 19, this is some 20-some years after the day of Pentecost that we read about just a few moments ago. Paul went to the city of Ephesus, and there were believers there. They had been believers for some time. And he said, have you yet received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, no, we didn't know anything about that. And there were about a dozen men there. They prayed for them, they received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. Now, we're not going to try to get everybody prayed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit here today, but here's, here's, here's what I'm going to ask. If you're here, and you haven't really awakened to the Spirit in your life, maybe you've never received it, maybe it needs to be stirred up again, in just a moment, I'm going to ask us all to stand. And if you would like to seek and receive that fullness of the Spirit in your life, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to anoint you with oil. Uh, this is going to happen very quickly. And I'm going to ask you to go home and spend this week in your prayer time saying, Lord, please, refill me with your Spirit. Or baptize me with the Spirit. Because this is equipment that I believe we really need to walk in the full presence and power of the Spirit in our lives today. There's different reasons why people don't receive it. But one of my favorite stories, this again goes back years. Her name was Joni Bartelt. Uh, she had come to our church from the church I pastored at the time, uh, from a Catholic background. But she'd really had an experience with the Lord. And she became a really energized Catholic in many ways. She went, this was a bridge too far when she wanted to know if she bought the statue of Mary, could she come and put it in our foyer? I said, well, I don't think that's going to work in uh, some of the God church. But anyway, she was hungry to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she sought it and sought it. Then one day she came to church and she was excited. She said, Pastor Stan, Pastor Stan, I woke up last night in my sleep and I was speaking in a language I didn't understand. Somehow the Holy Spirit caught her at a time where she, she had her uh, walls down and broke through in her life. And I just would love for everyone that's here today to be living in the full presence and power of the Spirit. Now, would you stand with me? I'm not going to be embarrassed if nobody comes. I'm just giving an invitation here. But I'm just, but I'm just going to ask you, if, if you're seeking this missing ingredient as an active agent in your life, I'm just going to ask you to come, stand on the front, 
I'm not even going to pray a prayer, but I'm going to come and I'm going to anoint you with oil. And then I'm going to stand back and I'm going to pray that the Lord would baptize you or refill you with the Spirit in your life. 